I kind of have, you know, like certain spending principles that I'm like, okay, just follow these four things. But one of my four principles is don't ever spend your money trying to buy things that ultimately you're never going to be able to buy. And again, this one's hard. This is probably the hardest because it goes against it goes against every single message we've ever been served our entire life and continue to be served as women, right? Which is your self-worth is for sale. Your confidence is for sale. All you have to do is just spend enough money to go out and buy it. Hey there, I'm Renee, a self-proclaimed shopaholic turned minimalist. In just three years, my family and I downsized our house, paid off debt, and I learned to make passive income online so I could work anytime, anywhere. We did all of this in pursuit of a life of more freedom, flexibility, and fun. And the crazy part is, the more I detached from my stuff, the more I was able to let go of pesky habits like people-pleasing, saying yes to everyone, and being who I thought I was supposed to be rather than showing up authentically as who I am. That's why I want you to see the Unstuffed podcast not as a place for all things decluttering and organizing, but rather as a place where together we can unload it all. From donating those pants that no longer fit to bidding adieu to those relationships that have run their course, I want you to see our time together as a time where you can unwind, let go, come as you are, and there is no need to apologize for the mess. So let's shed some layers, drop some dead weight, and start living a little less stuffed. Welcome to the Unstuffed Podcast. Hey there, it's me, Renee. Welcome back to the Unstuffed Podcast. As we head into the craziest shopping season of all time, I felt there was no better thing to do than sit down with one of my fellow shopaholics and have some real life conversation about where this comes from, how to kick it, and why it's so stinking difficult to get our spending in order, especially in this day and age. Join me as I sit down with Paige Pritchard, who is the founder of Overcoming Overspending, which is an amazing resource for people who struggle with overspending and shopping addiction. Paige and I had the amazing opportunity to sit down and kind of giggle through our limiting beliefs around spending. What caused her to spend her entire $60,000 paycheck on clothes, shoes, purses, and more? And what led me to struggle through and get to the place where we both have found balance with spending? This is a conversation by my own heart. And if you are someone who has deeply related to all things overspending, shopping addictions, but still loving those pair of shoes, this is a conversation you are going to love to sit in on. Hi, Paige. Hello. Thank you for having me on. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I am so excited to have you here. Uh, I feel like our stories are so aligned. So I'm really excited to be able to have a conversation with someone who I know knows where I'm coming from. Uh, But for anyone who hasn't heard of you yet, do you want to give us a quick breakdown of who you are, what you do and how you got here? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I am Paige Pritchard. I am the founder of an online community called Overcoming Overspending. And basically I'm a certified life coach, but what I say is like, I'm a money coach, but specifically for women who are impulse shoppers, compulsive shoppers, recovering shopping addicts, kind of like you and myself, just people who have had kind of a complicated relationship with money in the past and often find themselves self-sabotaging with their spending habits. Because that was me, right? Like my personal story is in my 20s, when I first graduated from college, I did what a lot of millennials, and again, this was 12 years ago, but I did what a lot of millennials did at the time was I moved back in with my parents because I was buried in student loan debt. I had no savings. Of course, I had just been a broke college student up until that point in my life. And I was like, okay, I'm going to live at home. I had a job lined up. I was making $60,000 a year, um, which as a 22-year-old who has never in their life had any sort of... I mean, even now, that's crazy. But I mean, going from being a broke college student to being like, okay, here's a $60,000 salary was wild. And I had all these grand ideas and grand plans of paying off my loans and saving up all of this money. And to make a long story short, that's the opposite of what happened. I basically ended up shopping through that entire salary. I mean, basically, I had taxes taken out. People are like, you couldn't have spent the whole thing. I'm like, well, other than what was taken out for taxes, I I truly did, right? Because I was living at home with my parents. So a lot of just the typical expenses that you have in an adult, I was very lucky and privileged to have those covered by my parents. So I didn't have rent or utilities or anything like that. And my job was actually at a car dealership. I was selling Cadillacs. And so they gave me a brand new Cadillac to drive. It wasn't my car, right? But they were like, hey, you can drive around in this car. So, and we'll pay for the gas and we'll pay for the insurance and we'll pay for your cell phone bill. So it was like the other kind of set of bills that you normally have to worry about. I also didn't have to pay. And so it was basically a free for all, right? I say it was kind of like a literal and a figurative zero to 60. And it was a time in my life, of course, where I was going through a lot. Like I just, I didn't handle the transition from college to real world. Well, I was like, I miss my friends, my college boyfriend and I broke up, which like now seems kind of silly. But like at the time I was devastated about it. I was like, oh my God, we were going to get married and now we broke up. And, you know, it was just, there was just a lot going on in my life and shopping was how I coped with it. Right. And I think that there's a lot of things that actually played into like why I did what I did, which we can kind of dive into if you want. But I shopped through it all and I got through the end of that year and my parents were like, okay, it's been a year, like time to go. And I couldn't even afford a security deposit to move out to go get an apartment. All of my money was in my closet. Like I basically, my advice was kind of like clothes. I basically spent it all on clothes, beauty items, shoes, handbags, jewelries, right? Basically stuff that you could either wear on your body or change your appearance with was pretty much where all my money went. And it was kind of like this light bulb moment for me where I was just like, something has got to change or else I am going to be broke for the rest of my life. And I'm really lucky that I had that realization when I was 23 years old, right? Like I know maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I'm 33, I'm 43, I'm 53. And I'm just now having that realization. But I know that I was very blessed to have that realization when I was 23 years old. But it definitely was not an overnight success either. I mean, I'm 34 now. That was 12 years ago. But when I first started going out and being like, okay, let's solve this problem. The only advice that was out there was from 
old dudes that, you know, were telling me to like stop buying lattes and to just all just the typical outdated advice where you're just like, you clearly don't know me. You clearly don't know my life. And it was also telling me just these really surface level things, right? Like unsubscribe from emails or, I mean, social media wasn't really even a thing at that time, but you know, it's like unsubscribe from emails and just put all these things in place in your external environment to make shopping harder. And it didn't help me because I was just like, you don't understand. This is like a compulsion for me. Like, I don't even need to get the email. I'm just going to go to the store or I don't even need to be like following somebody on social media for it to come across my for you page. It's like, I'm going to go seek it out because I need that dopamine hit, right? Like it was a compulsion for me. And so I started to dive deeper. I was like, look, we've got to address like the root cause of like why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because all of this stuff that's out there on Google, it's simply just slapping a Band-Aid on an open wound. It's not doing anything. It's not helping for... It's not helping me. And so... Again, it certainly was not an overnight success, but over the next 10 years, I really dived into like mindset work, emotional work. I was working full time throughout this whole time, like in a corporate career. And I went back and I got my MBA, but there was something that just always pulled me to money and to coaching. And through that time, my husband and I, we also paid off close to six figures of debt. Between the two of us, we had $98,000 of student loan and credit card debt. And even though I was doing all of this, I never talked about it. I never shared it because I was still really ashamed by all of it. I was really ashamed by what I had done. I was really ashamed by all the debt that we had. I literally thought that we were the only people on earth who were in debt. But for some reason, one day in like 20... This was when Instagram was still like kind of new. I was like, I'm just going to create an Instagram account and almost like... It wasn't even my personal name. And I was like, and I'm just going to start sharing... And it was like, all these people started coming out of the woodworks like, oh my gosh, how did you do that? Please help me. How did you get all that debt paid off? And so for a long time, I really just talked about anything and everything money, like the whole spectrum of money, which is a really, really wide spectrum. And I, for a lot of years, I really felt like, okay, I'm helping a lot of people like just a little bit in a lot of different areas. But the one area that everyone kept coming to me, almost like in secret, like, it was never out in the open. It was like they would email me, they would DM me, was shopping and spending, right? Like I'm in credit card debt. I don't know how to stop shopping. Um, like my spending habits are like ruining my marriage, right? Like what do I do? And I was just like, this is an area that people need so much help in. And I know that because I used to be there and there's no help. And secondly, it's like, and no one's out there talking about it because everyone feels so ashamed about it, right? Like no one's out there talking about like being in $15,000 of credit card debt because you're a shopaholic, right? Like, because I always say struggling with your spending habits, it's no different than like if you struggle with binge eating or if you struggle with drinking too much or if you struggle with any other form of what I call like buffering. Shopping is the one thing that people like laugh off. They're like, oh, ha ha. I'm a shopaholic. Oh, ha ha. It's so funny. And I'm like, it's actually not funny. Like if you're in it and you're going through that, there's nothing funny about it. And those of us that have been there, like probably like you and I, we get that and we understand that, but it's also not helpful when everyone around you is like making light of it and just being like, oh, ha ha. This is so cute. My little shopping addiction. So that was when I had the light bulb moment, probably like two years ago that I was like, okay, I, this is my work. Like not only 
do I have the personal experience to say like, I understand because I've been where you are, but I have the tools and I'm not ashamed to talk about it. Like a lot of people are, but I'm not, I'm like, I will happily go out there and kind of like run through that brick wall and do this work. And so now for the past two or three years, it's, this is my work, right? So like, I'm like, if you are somebody who you struggle with impulse shopping, overspending, compulsive shopping, like I'm your girl. And I went back and got a life coaching certification to kind of mix in like the mindset work, the emotional work. So it's like, when you come to me, I'm not just like, I'm not just giving you surface level stuff. I'm like, we're going deep, baby. Like we are going to figure out like what's really going on. That's really driving like why you're shopping and why you're spending and why you're doing this. So long answer, but that's, that's me in a nutshell. No, it's so funny. Cause I feel like um, the whole time I've been like, me too, me too, me too, <laughs> like, I'll, yeah. like, I'll, I'll step for step. And it's so crazy. Uh, like you say, you were earning, you know, $60,000 per year and where, you know, I didn't have necessarily that exact same thing, but the like 19, 20 year old in me is like, Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. You have no financial responsibilities and $60,000 to just spend 100%. I can guarantee I would have done the same thing. Yeah. And something I share about is like my, my dad passed away. That was a really tough thing for me. And I got a certain chunk of life insurance money from him, not a big chunk, but like it went to Hollister and like Mm -hmm. whatever was on the target clearance rack. Um, because getting through that hard time in my life, and I was also going through a divorce. I was 20 years old, but I was going through a divorce. My dad was gone. And it was just like, yeah, that filled me back up very poorly. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Very poorly. Cause it's never going to solve what you, what you think it's going to solve. It's so funny you say that too, because this is actually very common, like exactly what you said. Whenever we think about like having more money, we always think about, we want more money because we think about all the things that we want to buy with it and the things that we want to spend it on. And it's one thing to say like, oh, I wish I had a million dollars in my bank account. Like it's one thing to kind of think about it and say it. It's a whole nother situation when it's when it's real and when it's actually happening. Now, maybe it's like a million dollars is extreme, right? But you see this a lot when you have either like big jumps in income or like in your situation with like inheritances. This is why lottery, this is why like 70% of lottery winners end up going broke, right? And like 30% of them ultimately end up declaring bankruptcy. And you see this a ton with professional athletes as well. There's some crazy stat like Sports Illustrated did a study that found that 80% of NFL players experience financial hardship, like shortly after leaving the league. And I think that it's because like, when you have these huge jumps in income and it's almost kind of like your identity hasn't caught up with your reality. I know this was one of the main factors for me is like my identity was still very much rooted in like being a broke college kid. And so again, like this is the mindset. This is like, this is the psychology. It's like your brain is always going to want to revert you back to your identity and it will always find ways to self-sabotage that. So it's very easy to be like, Oh yeah, I wish I had all this money. Or if I were in that situation, I I would have never done that. And it's a whole different situation to actually be in it and experience that self-sabotage, but you don't even realize it's happening at the time. You just think, oh, I'm just going out and buying these things and I'm spending money until you blink. And to your point, your inheritance is gone or you've spent an entire year's 
salary, but there's like when your identity, when there's a disconnect between who you believe yourself to be and what's actually happening in your external world. And also too, like, this is something else I see a lot is just, it's actually uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable to have that amount of money. Like there was a big part of me as a 22 year old where I was like, I know this is a lot of money and I feel very blessed to be making it, but like, I don't feel equipped to manage this money. Like this is a lot of pressure. This is a lot of responsibility. And so my brain's way of like making sense of that and almost in a way, like relieving myself of those uncomfortable emotions was like, well, don't even worry about it. We'll just go spend it. We'll just go to Nordstrom's and go spend it. Like, don't worry about managing it. Well, like we're just going to go buy stuff with it. So there's so many like, you know, like underneath the surface factors that are going on. And it's actually so, so common. And it's easy to be like, that would never happen to me. I would never do that until you're actually in it. And you're like, shoot, like, this is real. No, it's so crazy. And that's what I think even like when, um, when we were, we were having like a tough time and I was like, oh, I wish we just had like a hundred dollars to put toward this thing. And then I get a hundred dollars. I'm like, Oh, but we really need a new blanket for the couch and we should really get a cute sign for the living room and <laughs> like all that. And then, and so I think people can relate to that. I think people who think, Oh, if I had the million dollars, I would do so many great things. But if you're getting a hundred dollars brought into your existence and you're blowing it as fast as you can, it's a good sign to you that you in fact would not be better with more money until you can manage that smaller amount. Yeah. And hundred percent about the, as soon as the money was in my bank account, it was like, uh, well, I have to do something with it. It can't just sit there. So yeah. make it go away. <laughs> like make it disappear right. somehow. Like that was really the mentality. Yeah. I talk about this a lot, actually. Like I have a membership and it's funny because like every single month we focus on a topic and it's funny because this month in September, we're focusing on having money, right? And being able to like have money come into you and not just immediately be like, boom, let's spend it. Like, boom, what, what, like, what am I going to buy with this? I've seen you do a social media post about this. My brain used to do the same thing. It was like, before I would even get the money, it was spent in my head. Like I already knew what I was going to go buy with it and spend it on. And actually being able to like have money come into you and not just immediately have that compulsion to just go, okay, what can I get? What can I buy with this? It's a skill. It's actually a muscle that you have to develop. And, you know, I call it your capacity to have money, like just being able to like have money come in and have it and not just immediately spend it. But it's something that you have to work on and practice, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And it's really hard because it's so hard. You're rewiring you, (laughs) you know, and that's what, um, you know, I always want to encourage people to make these changes, but you're right. Like you were talking about the old guy financial guru hacks. Uh, cause I went through the same thing when we were working to pay off debt. It was like, I felt like, okay, uh, if I just put all these steps in place, everything should work out for me. But when the underlying person who's putting those steps in place is still the same person, you know, it just wasn't working or it was painfully difficult. Yes. That's, and that's the hard thing about money. And like the women that come to me, like they're already just buried under a blanket of like guilt and shame because most of them have tried all the typical 
tips and hacks and, you know, like all the surface level stuff. And I think that's the thing with money. I'm like, if you are to just change one belief about money, change the belief about money, that money is simply just math and logic, because that's literally 10% of it. And I always talk about an analogy that I always use as like an iceberg, right? That's how money is. I'm like, look, the 10% that you can see, those are the steps. That's the black and white. That's the mathematical reality that exists with money. And to your point, it's one thing to say like, okay, I'm going to make this plan or I'm, this is, these are the numbers and this is how I'm going to get to where I want to be from a mathematical perspective. And it's a whole nother ball game when you actually go and you're looking at the part underneath the surface of the water that you can't see. That's the day-to-day execution of it, the behaviors, the mindset, right? And it's kind of like, the women that come to me, they're smart, they're educated, they're making great money. And they're like, it's not that I don't know what to do. It's not that I don't know the rules. Like I know the rules. I know what you should do. But for some reason, it's like, I know what I should do, but I'm not doing it. Right. And so it's like, that's where the breakdown is. And that's where we get into our heads of being like, well, what's wrong with me? Like, that's where the guilt and the shame starts getting piled on, which then just makes the issue even worse because then you're coming into it thinking that you're broken. There's something wrong with you. You can't figure this out. You're not good at this. And it's like, no, you're just not addressing all the stuff that actually really matters. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. For the last, however many decades too, I feel like no one addressed what actually matters. Mm -hmm. Nobody was really talking about it. I mean, I guess, or if they were, it was like only the mindset, you know, a lot of like, um, the mentality and like law of attraction, he kind of mindset, stuff was like mm-hmm. in its own little category. And then over here was the finance p- people and finding a way to combine those two is so important. And I feel like I've only started to see that happening in the last few years. And it's so necessary because like we were talking about the money disappearing as soon as it hits your bank account. A big part of that for me was thinking I'm not the financy person. I've never been like yeah. the person was good at math. So get that money out of my life. Cause I can't manage it. I'm not that person. I'm not the person who rocked it economics in high school. That wasn't yeah. me, you know? So it was scary realizing now that it doesn't require that much skill to manage the numbers. Yes. It, yeah. It's a belief in yourself, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's something with money that a lot of us believe the way that money works is we just believe like you come into the world and you're either just inherently good with money or you're just inherently bad with money. And it's just a coin flip to figure out like, which one one am I? Am I good or am I bad with money? And it's just to your point, the truth is, is that managing money and spending money is a skill, especially the spending money side, right? That's the other thing with it is like, when you go into the money space and you start looking at it, everyone's teaching you like how to make more money and how to negotiate a raise and how to get paid your worth. And is that important? So important. Yes. Don't get me wrong. After our family downsized our house, we started working to pay off debt and build an actual savings because for decades I would transfer a hundred dollars to our savings account, but then I would end up transferring it right back to our checking when we had overspent. So when we downsized, I decided to get serious about saving money for things like emergencies and for fun things like travel. The first thing I did was open a high yield savings account that was separate from our current checking account. That way it wouldn't be as easy for me to just pull money out whenever I felt like I needed it. And I knew it would force me to take my spending and my saving a lot more seriously. So if you are in a similar boat and are hoping to up your game when it comes to saving money, 
One of the absolute best accounts to get started is called Savings Connect. This is a savings account that pays close to 5% when you set an automatic savings deposit of just $100 per month. This is 11 times the national average, which means if you use a current savings account that's attached to your checking, there's a good chance you are not making nearly enough money. So if you're at a place in life where you're committed to changing your financial future and you actually want to start getting some money in the bank, you can get started with a Savings Connect account for as little as $100. Just head to reneebennis.com forward slash save to learn more and I will fill you in on all of the details. That's reneebennis.com forward slash save to learn more. But more income isn't going to solve your problem if you have a spending problem. Because it's yeah. literally just pouring pouring water into a cup that has no bottom, right? It doesn't matter how much you pour in, as much as you pour in is going to come out. So if you can't manage $30,000, you're not going to be able to manage $300,000. But it's just like, it's a skill. And I think a lot of us think we equate spending money to kind of like breathing. We're like, oh, you don't come into the world and learn how to breathe. You just know how to do it. You just start breathing. And that's how we think about spending money. We're like, you just spend it. (laughs) Right. And it's like, no. And it's like, no, it's actually a skill, right? Like being able to spend money in a controlled and purposeful way that is aligned to you that actually you're like, I spend my money in a way that fills up my life with beauty and I'm not using it as a way to like cope with negative emotion. And it's like, it's a skill and it's something that you can learn. A lot of people just never get to that point because they don't even think of it that way. They don't even think of it as like, oh, this is a skill. It's something that I can learn and get better at. They're just like, I'm either a good spender or a bad spender. And that's something I call your spending self-concept, which is what you were talking about. And your spending self-concept is so key because whatever your spending self-concept is, that is what you will create. So if you have a spending self-concept to your point of like, I'm bad with money, I'm bad with math, I'm a shopper. I'm a splurger. I'm a saver. I hear this all the time with women. They're like, I'm the shopper. My husband's the saver, right? It's like, how, how much do we hear that? Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I get it. I understand that you're saying that because you think it's harmless by saying that. But when that's the identity that you hold of yourself, and if this is something that you're wanting to change, if you don't care, then it's like, whatever. Right. (laughs) But if you care and you're like, I want to be a more purposeful spender. I don't want to be buying as much junk and crap and clutter. The first place I have people start is like evaluating, well, what is your spending self-concept? Because whatever that is, that is what you are going to be proving true. Because again, going back to a lot of the psychology, it's like your brain wants to create certainty for you. And so your brain wants to be right about things. This is just confirmation bias, right? Your brain is always going to be working to prove itself true. So if you have a deeply ingrained belief and identity around yourself of like, I'm a shopper, I'm a splurger. I have a lot of women tell me like, I can't be trusted with money. Like all that garbage that like goes around in our head, that's what's going to happen. I'm like, if you believe you're bad with money, you're going to be bad with money. Right. Well, and I feel like there's so many little messages that we pick up throughout our life. Like, um, you know, I think about the message that I got when I was very young and very much translated, like I said, when my dad passed away, 
my life with my dad was like every other weekend parent, right? So we were always going out. We were always buying stuff. I was always getting treated to things. So I like really equated that with like, this is so much fun. This is fun. This is mm-hmm. living. Mm-hmm. And when my mom was in really good moods, we would go shopping. She'd buy me like $300 worth of new clothes. And then when she'd be in a bad mood, it was like, no, we can't, we can't spend, we can't. So I really, really associated it with like living and truly embracing life was spending money and having fun and buying the things. And then my dad died and I'm like, I really better freaking live. (laughs) So like, I have to spend as much money as I can on everything I want to, because otherwise I felt like I wasn't living. Yeah. But that constant draining feeling of having no money in my bank account and my credit card racking up really wasn't me living either. And I think a lot of times people have that mentality that I don't want to limit my shopping. I don't want to get strategies for spending because like we believe that it will be like a sacrifice or um, depriving ourselves of something when in reality, it doesn't have to be. No. Yeah. Deprivation. It's interesting that you say deprivation because I feel like deprivation is one of the emotions that like, for some reason we like make into our head is just this like awful, terrible thing. Like, oh my gosh. Like I have a lot of women that I work with tell me like, I don't want to feel deprived, but the irony of it is I'm like, you already feel deprived. Like the reason you came to me is because you feel deprived. Like, so it's this kind of it's this irony with our emotions of like, oftentimes the emotion that we try to avoid initially in the beginning is just the emotion that we end up creating for ourselves on a larger scale, like later on down the road. So to your point, and it's like in the moment when we want to go shopping, when we go to target, like when we go, we're constantly just like spending money and throwing things on our cart. And we're in this like, yes, 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 yes mentality. We don't want to say no. And in that moment, we're so scared of like the feeling of deprivation. We're like, oh my gosh, like we're just, we're so resistant to that emotion. But then after doing that so much and spending so much money and burying ourselves in debt and piling up our environments with junk and clutter, guess what you end up feeling? You end up feeling deprived because then there's so many other things that you want to go do. And this other version of your life that you want to be living that you can't live at that point because of the decisions that you've made in the past. And so it's so funny because it's like, you're so scared of deprivation, yet that's exactly what you're creating for yourself. And so it's just this thing, you know, like our spending is so emotional, right? And that's like the crazy thing about why we do what we do. It all comes back to our emotions, but it's like, it's just like the emotion that you're most trying to escape right now is ultimately what you're creating for yourself. Right. And having that realization, I mean, just having that realization isn't going to like totally and completely change you, but it's the place to start. Right. Like it's the place to start to go, oh, okay, light bulb moment. Didn't really see it that way before. And I always say, like, emotions, it's not a matter of if, but when. It's not a matter of like if you're going to feel it, it's a matter of when you're going to feel it. And I always say, discipline in any area of our life, right? With money or with our health or whatever, like, yes, of course, it's going to require a certain level of discipline and making the disciplined choice in the moment is always going to be uncomfortable. Always, because it's it's gonna go against how you are wired as a human being, right? Like our survival caveman brains that we are in 90% of the time, 
that run 90% of our thoughts and emotions and behaviors is always going to want the dopamine. It's always going to want the pleasure. And so choosing the discipline choice in any moment is going to go against that. And it's going to feel uncomfortable. But the question I always pose to myself is like, okay, discomfort now or discomfort later and discomfort. Now it's going to be on a smaller scale. Or what I can do is I can push off this discomfort into the future for future Paige to have to deal with because she will have to deal with this at some point and it'll be on a larger scale. So I'm like, what's more uncomfortable? Is it more uncomfortable to say no in this moment or is it more uncomfortable to be in $10,000 worth of credit card debt? Right. What's more uncomfortable? And it's kind of like that famous saying where it's like, choose your hard. It's kind of like that. I feel like that's become like catchy, but it's kind of true. It's like, there's no path where you can avoid it, right? And I feel like women come to me and they're like, tell me the path where I can just avoid all of this. And I'm like, I'm so sorry to tell you, but it does not exist. It's not out there. I've gotten to a point where I love the uncomfortable, maybe not all the time love it, but love the discomfort because I almost feel like I'm just rewiring. I'm just rewiring my brain and so that I can be a different version of me. And like you said, so I don't remember where I read this, uh, but that like a disconnect from our older self, like you said, future Paige is still gonna have to deal with this. You know, future Renee will have to deal with any problems that I don't address now. So many people, I cannot remember where I read this, but people don't have that connection to their future self. So they don't plan for that future self. And that the more we connect to that person and realize like, there's a good chance that person's coming, you know, like, you know, if, if you make it to 65, I hope you have some sort of retirement and not $20,000 in credit card debt. And, you know, it's really yeah. going to suck if you get there and you do, and you haven't made any changes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So two things I want to say about this. Firstly, connecting to your future self is one of the best exercises that you can go through. And it's actually a fun exercise, right? Like I know sometimes we're like, Oh, I roll like one more, one more exercise. I got to go through. This one's actually really fun. And I'll send it to you if you want to stick it in the show notes, but I've done a past podcast episode on my podcast and I call it your financial BFF, but I'm like, your financial BFF is essentially the future version of you. And exactly to your point, I'll have women tell me, okay, I hear you, but I don't know who that is. Like, I don't have a clear version or vision of her. And part of it is just because we don't really know where to start or even like, where do I even go in my mind with that? And so I have a podcast episode. If you want to go listen to it, if you want the steps to do that, where I take you through in that podcast episode, like a lot of different questions, very detailed questions. But I'm like, listen, the more detailed that you can be, the better, because the more detailed that you are about what you want in that future version of you, the more real she will become to you. And sometimes yeah. people say like, well, I just feel like I don't have anyone keeping me accountable, right? Like sometimes I'll say, the women will say like, well, I'm not married. I don't have kids or whatever. I just don't feel like I have anything to be held accountable to. And I'm like, well, you do. We all do because your accountability is the future version of you that's depending on you to make the choices in this moment that she needs you to make in, old, in, like in order for that vision of her to become a reality, right? So I will send you that podcast episode. If anyone wants to go, wants to go listen to that, you can. And I feel like there was another thing I wanted to say. Now it's like totally escaping me. 
but been there, done that. <laughs> but that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause that's huge. And, and you're right. Like attaching to my future self has been, it is always one of the things that keeps me the most on track for everything and everything that I want to do. And I think, like you said, some people don't know how to attach to it. So I'm really excited to hear what, what you walk through in your podcast episode. But for me, it's taking the real life versions of women that I do know. Uh, my grandma is just turned 95 and she lives independently in her own home uh, and just kind of casually spends her days. Like she used to go to breakfast with her girlfriends, just kind of has like pizza and it's just like pizza for lunch. And she's just very chill and this supported person, you know what I mean? She's doing fine where I see other women who are maybe past retirement or want to retire, but can't and are so mm -hmm. stressed financially and don't have the money to relax and are just going to have to keep working and going and going. And there's really no sight of when that might stop. Yeah. I, all I can think is like, Oh dear God, like I, that cannot be me. So I, yeah, <laughs> I don't no. want to be having to work 30 years from now. Totally. And okay, actually you saying that I'm like, oh yes, it sparked, it sparked my, okay. my second point. Right. But like, <laughs> I, it kind of, it kind of, I like, I don't want to say this like in a judgy way, but it kind of does baffle me sometimes, especially we were talking about TikTok before we started recording. I see this the most on TikTok where people are in my comments like all day, every day where they're like, nah, sis, like YOLO, you only live once. Like I'm going to spend my money while I'm here. Like I could die tomorrow. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. You could die tomorrow. Hmm. Will you probably die tomorrow? Probably not. Right? Like every human being is going to have a day on planet earth. That is going to be our last day. Statistically speaking for most of us, that day isn't going to be tomorrow. Now, could it end up coming sooner than we think? Like, yes, of course. Right? Like, but also it's, it's, this kind of mindset that people get in where they're like, I could be dead tomorrow. So I'm going to spend the money and do what I want and buy the things. And I'm like, but the chances of that actually happening are very slim. And you actually have a much greater chance of, to your point, living to be 65, 70, even older than that. And think about that version of you that probably, probably is going to come. Yeah. And think about that version of you, like looking back at, you know, 25, 30 year old version of yourself going, ah, no, I could die tomorrow. And it's like, well, here we are at 70 <laughs> like, yeah. and now we have no money and now we have no savings. And so I'm just kind of like, I see it all the time in my comments and I'm just kind of bewildered by it. Cause I'm like, I get it. Right. Like I totally understand the YOLO mindset of like, and I'm like, listen, yes, every day could be your last soak it up while we're here. But also <laughs> also statistically speaking, it's like most of us are going to, especially us women, right? Like most of us women are going to grow probably older than we expect. And so it's like plan for that. But I also think it's like, that doesn't mean again, going back to the deprivation, I'm like, that also doesn't mean you have to like deprive yourself and not have fun and not do the things that you want and not live a beautiful life because, because you're planning and because you're taking care of your future self. Like, I think we get into this black or white, all or nothing thinking. And this is very common with money where it's like, I either have to be like a super, super frugal saver, or I have to just go balls to the wall and spend every cent to my name. And it's like, why don't we just find somewhere in the middle that yeah. actually like <laughs> balance? Like, why don't we just find the balance? Why don't we just find the gray area? Like who would have thought, right? 
But our brains just have a tendency to live on one end of those extremes. But it's like, no, there's a very happy, healthy middle that we can be in to where you can enjoy the present moment and take care of future you simultaneously all at the same time. So anyways, that's what I wanted to say. I see that all the time and I'm like, what? No, I know. And that's what it's so funny that you say that because I've had to have that realization. Like I said, that was kind of part of my spending was like, well, my dad died when he was 43. So I better hurry up and live my life and enjoy it. Um, but I've realized living with like a YOLO mindset, a lot of times you're like living to die. Like you're mm-hmm. planning an early death. You're, you know, like, it's like this, I, I could die. I could die any day. I could die. Any day. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not a really fun way to live. No, it? it's terrible. And if you're in that credit card debt and you're financially stressed and you're not knowing how you're going to pay your bills, you're also really not living. If you only live once, you don't, you shouldn't be doing it in a constant state of stress and panic. You know, finding that balance is key. Yeah. And I think it's just like going back to defining like what actually is living, because I think the definition that consumer culture tries to sell us of like what living looks like, to your point, isn't really living at all. And I know that this is like a big part of your story, but it's just like, we think that we're going to find so much in the stuff and in the spending and in the buying and the acquiring that isn't there and will never be there. And to your point, like I'm sure that's what has brought a lot of people into your community and to this podcast that are listening. I'm sure if we were to ask every single person listening to this podcast, we would all have very similar stories of like, I bought into the message that the world was trying to sell me of like, this is what life was and this is what was going to make you happy. But you go through that cycle enough times. And then all of a sudden, one day you're just like, okay, this isn't working. (laughs) This isn't working anymore. Like this is not giving me what everyone keeps telling me it's going to give me. Like I'm following the rules. I'm doing what I should do. And I'll say this, like, I also think a big reason of why I spent all that money was because, so I was born, I'm 34. I was born in 89. So I am a 90s baby, but I also grew up in like the early 2000s. I was in high school when you had movies like uh, 13 Going on 30, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, you know, like Devil Wears Prada. You had all these like women in these movies that was like, okay, that is what it looks like to be a working girl in corporate America, right? When you're thinking of um, Andy Anderson and, you know, Jennifer Garner in 30 and they're they're just like, they're dressed to the nines and they're like going in this like skyscraper every day to work in Manhattan. And you're just like, okay, like that is what being an adult is, right? That is what, that is what like full woman, yeah. yeah, A successful woman does. And so for me, it was like, that is what I have to be. That, that is the image I have to portray. And it's like so funny now, because I'm like, I worked in a car dealership with 10, I was the only woman, 10 men. I could have showed up to work in a potato sack and they wouldn't have noticed. Like truly, they would not have noticed. But it was like, that was the idea that I had in my head. And going back to what we were saying, it's like, that's what I had bought into. Like that was, was what the world was telling me. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to dress like. This is what you need to look like in order to be successful, to be happy, to be perceived in a certain way by other people. And I did that. And then I was like, wait, like, no, this isn't, this isn't working for me. Right. That's so great that you say that. Cause number one, all I can think right now is I'm like, uh, the devil wears Prada montage where like, she goes through like all her different outfits. Yes. It was like, was 
<laughs> to die. Like one of to my die. things where I'm like, oh my gosh, I need a white coat and I need a white hat just like that because she looks so stinking cute shuffling across busy New York City streets, you know. But I 100% did the same thing. So I share about how I had a shoe, monthly shoe membership where I would get new high heel shoes sent to me every month. And a big part of it was the heels for me. I was like, well, people take, if you're a woman in heels, you are sexy, you are successful and people take you seriously. So I need to be wearing heels all the time. Let's not address the fact that I don't actually believe in myself. Yeah. (laughs) If I have the heels, maybe it'll trick me into thinking I am, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no. And that's what I say. Like it goes so much so much deeper than that. And like one of my big, I kind of have, you know, like certain spending principles that I'm like, okay, just follow these four things. But one of my four principles is don't ever spend your money trying to buy things that ultimately you're never going to be able to buy. And again, this one's hard. This is probably the hardest because it goes against, it goes against every single message we've ever been served our entire life and continue to be served as women, right? Which is your self-worth is for sale your confidence is for sale. All you have to do is just spend enough money to go out and buy it. And there's actually been a lot of studies that have been done that show that typically compulsive shoppers, it's called a, it's called a self-deficiency gap, which is basically the gap between where you are and this idealized version of yourself in your head. And studies have shown that compulsive shoppers, that self-deficiency gap is wider than let's say somebody who's not a compulsive shopper. But that's what advertising is. Like advertising is literally saying like, hey, if you come out and you buy my product or you buy my shoe or you buy this or you buy that, I will magically just like turn you into this person that you want to be. Like it's my product that will do that for you. When in reality, it's like when you actually think about it, it's like up to your point, the high heels. Let's stick with that example. It's like a high heel is literally just like an inanimate object. Like it's... It doesn't have the ability to like shoot confidence into your body or like shoot worthiness into you. Now, yeah, of it's not course, like it's a Cinderella like, shoe. <laughs> exactly. Now it's like, of course, when we put on the shoe or like whatever, it's like, okay, like this is cute. And like, we do feel good wearing it, but it's not actually the shoe that's doing that. It's your, it's what's going on inside your brain. Like that's creating that. Right. And it's recognizing, oh, I'm actually the one in this moment that's creating my own confidence. I'm actually the one that's creating my own worthiness and my own self-respect and my own self-trust. It's actually not the shoes. And so then once you make that realization, you're like, okay, wait, so I can do this with or without the shoes. I can do this with or without the foundation. I can do this with or without the handbag. And that's not to say that you can't buy those things, right? And like, that's not my message. My message is like, look, if you plan for it ahead of time and if it's an aligned purchase, Go out and get the shoes, go out and get the foundation. Just don't do it expecting that it's going to deliver something to you that it never will and it never can. And that's how we get ourselves on the hamster wheel. Like I always say, like we always think that we're like one purchase away from total joy and total elation, right? Like how many times have we told ourselves, okay, I just need this one thing. It's just this one handbag. It's just this one pair of shoes. It's just the Peloton bike. It's just, it's always just that one next thing. And then we're like, and then I'm done. I promise. And then I'm done. And then I will, and then I will have everything that I need and I will never want anything again for the rest of my life and whatever. That's the, like, I mean, it's like, how many times have we been in that? Right. And then we go out, we buy the thing 
and it feels great. It feels amazing. And we get that dopamine hit. It's like euphoria. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then, but it's like the second that you buy whatever it is that you want to buy, it immediately starts mentally depreciating immediately. And then guess what? Two weeks later, you're off of it and you're on to the next thing saying, okay, this is it. This is the one last thing. And that's a cycle that will never stop. That is a hamster wheel that will always continue to spin as long as you continue to stay on it. And so it's a matter of like, do I want to stay on this never ending hamster wheel that I am never going to win on or find any fulfillment on, or do I choose to get off? And it's a choice. Like you can choose to get off if you want to. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And that's what, when you said like that, you never want to spend money on something that you can't, you can't afford or, you know, that kind of thing. I thought you meant like a really expensive house. I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know, but the idea of like, you can't buy it. I can't buy my confidence. I can't buy, you know, whatever it might be. That's such a huge realization. Um, that's so good. And it reminds me of a story I heard, which I don't know that this story is true, but as a woman, I think most of us could maybe relate to this a little bit where it was like, someone said they were were walking along the street with Marilyn Monroe, but she was just like, um, no one was recognizing her. No one knew who she was. She was like, uh, just in her Norma Jean, you know, she was just being her normal self. And Mm -hmm. she said, do you want me to, do you want me to be her? And the person with her was like, what do you mean? She was like, do you want me to be Marilyn? You know? And she said, it was just like a slight shift in her demeanor of all of a sudden she was Marilyn. Um, I read this book called presence where it talks about like taking up space as women, like how, as anyone just taking up space can make us feel so much more empowered that we're capable Mm -hmm. of stepping into that confidence with slight body shifts, you know, the shoulders back, head up, deep breath, you know, um, we're capable of making the high heel change without the high heels. Um, Yeah. And this isn't to say too, yeah, this isn't to say too, like, I want to make this clear. Like, trust me, I'm, I'm all about like, I, I do when I have like my hair done and my makeup done and I'm wearing like a killer outfit, like, do I feel better than when I'm not like 100%? Absolutely. But I also think that they, there's that. And then there's a big difference between spending a bunch of money and buying a bunch of stuff to close that self-deficiency gap, right. To close right. that confidence gap, to close that self-worth gap, because it's never, ever, ever, ever going to close that gap. Right. And so this isn't to say that you should just walk around like looking like a bum, because I don't think that you should do that either. But all I'm saying is just like, don't abdicate responsibility to your money and to your stuff to do a job that you should be doing for yourself. Like that's the biggest thing. Right. I think knowing yourself, you know, like the more I've learned to understand myself and what I like, what I feel comfortable in, like, um, the type of shirt I like, the type of pants I like, and putting on the things that make me genuinely feel more myself are, those are the, those are like the confidence boosters, you know, that Mm -hmm. they can, because that's such a tough thing. Like you're saying to like, you don't need the stuff, but the stuff can help, you know, like dressing well can help, but don't expect all the shoes and the clothes to do the job. I, I just feel like it's such a tough thing to it's so tough. Work it's, out in our own brains. It's so tough. It's probably honestly like the hardest part about this whole like shopping and spending. And like, especially if you're someone like me who like likes to spend a lot of your money on like clothes and, and things like that. But for me, and, and again, it's not to say that you can't spend money on those things. To me, it's just like putting a couple measures in place, right? Like I can walk you through those. And this is just for spending in general, right? Like 
I'm sure you talk about this a lot, but it's like having some sort of pause between seeing something and wanting something. Like there's so much power in that gap between the stimulus and the action, right? Like there's so much power in that pause. And like, especially with clothes, with clothes, I used to get so sucked in to trends, like anything trendy, I, I, I would have it. Now it's like, when I buy clothes, I'm like, am I still going to like this thing? Like in three years, am I still going, am I still going to want to put this thing on my body? Like three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, like that's the lens that I'm looking at it through versus like, Oh, this is cute. This is a super like trendy, trendy thing, right? Like this is, this is no offense to anyone who has golden goose sneakers. This is just always the example that I use. Right. I don't even so know. Don't, what those take are, this, but okay. don't take this personally if you have golden goose sneakers, but like in the past, so golden goose sneakers are like, these sneakers are super expensive. They're like five to $600. And they basically look like these sneakers that are like ratted up. Like you buy them and they look like they're already like five years old. Like they, anyways, but they're super trendy and they're super, super popular. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, go Google them. Um, but they're super popular. Like, I just feel like everyone I know has a pair. And for me, like kind of how I know, how I knew that like I had made progress was like a couple of years ago, 22 year old, 23 year old page, like would have spent the $500 and bought the golden goose sneakers because I would have wanted to feel included I wouldn't have wanted to feel left behind. I wouldn't have wanted to feel left out. And so even though I like look at these and I'm like, I don't really like those. Those aren't really my style. Like I I still would have gone out and spent the money to get the shoes. And now like, this is what I'm trying to say. It's like, now I'm like, who are you really spending the money for? Are you spending the money for other people to fit in, to be included, to not get left behind, to impress other people? Or are you actually spending your money for yourself? Right. And so for me, I'm like, okay, like that's how I know that I've made a lot of progress. Cause like in the past, I'm like, I would have gone out and I would have bought those shoes. Maybe you'll agree with me once you go. <laughs> you Googled them. I, yeah. I was gonna say, no offense to anybody who has a pair and to and, and who really likes them, right? right? If like you love them and like, to each his own. Know. To each his own. Right. Like, they're just not for me. They're just not for me. And so, that's huge. And being able to know that, know ourselves. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. That's such a great point. Thank you so much, Paige. This was just fantastic. I'm so glad we got to connect just because I know we have so much in common as far as all of the spending goes. And beyond linking to, if you want to send us the show over from the- I will. Your BFF, your money BFF, Mm -hmm. that podcast link. But is there any other way that people can connect with you that works the best? Yeah, three ways that are good. First is just on social. So Instagram and TikTok is are where I'm most active. My handles there are at overcoming underscore overspending. I also have a podcast. So clearly you're a podcast person. And if you are looking for a good money podcast that blends like money and psychology and emotions, my podcast is called the Money Love Podcast. And if you are somebody who's wanting to take this work deeper. I have a membership. It's just called the Overcoming Overspending Membership. You just you pay monthly. We meet 10 times a month. We do live coaching. You get my process. We do like a challenge and a topic every single month. It's pretty much the only place, at least that I know of on the internet, the only community for women spenders. So if this is something that you really want to dive into and do the work in, uh, come join my membership. It's the cost of one Amazon order every single month. So to me, I'm like, it's it's money well spent if this is something that you really want to work on. So you can find that at overcomingoverspending.com. 
Oh, thank you so much. That's awesome. Well, we'll make sure to link to all that in the show notes for everybody who wants to go connect with Paige more. But awesome. thank you again so much. This was such a fun, hopefully really informative and helpful chat. Thank you for having me, Renee. Yeah, thank you. Hey again, thanks so much for hanging out with me today on the Unstuffed Podcast. It means so much that you chose to carve out some of your precious time just to hang out with me. If you aren't quite ready for our time to end, head to the show notes where you can grab my free declutter checklist, join my newsletter subscription, and connect with me on some of your favorite social platforms. Sending you so much love. Until next time.